Last week I mentioned that CBS televised a playoff game on their sister station Nickelodeon. And I mentioned that to kind of make it, I guess, kid-friendly, whenever there was a touchdown, they shot off the slime cannons uh, to just kind of jazz it up and give it a Nickelodeon feel. Well, what I didn't anticipate is online, there were several that suggested that services would be much more exciting if the preacher got slimed. So I want to tell, okay, y'all are supposed to clap. Come on. Now, I want to throw out, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm willing to get slimed when we meet our capital campaign goal of $3.4 million. We're at 1.4. You got two to go, and then the slime bucket's coming. And I'm not wearing any plastic. It's coming down on this stage. Just throwing it out there. On a foggy morning on July 4th, 1952... 34-year-old swimmer Florence Chadwick waded into the Pacific Ocean in an attempt to swim from Catalina Island all the way over to the California coast. Now, Florence was a well-known and famous swimmer. In fact, she was the first swimmer, uh, female swimmer, to go across the English Channel both ways. And each time, she set a new world record for females making that journey. But growing up in California, it had always been one of those things, man, I'd love to do this. To swim for 26 miles, like a marathon, 26 miles from Catalina on into Huntington Beach. That was her desire. And though millions were watching on TV that morning, the fog was so bad that Florence Chadwick couldn't see the two boats on either side that were kind of trailing her on her journey, making sure everything was okay. And it's probably good that the fog was so thick as sharks started coming up in the water trying to get close to Florence. In fact, they had to use rifle shots to get the sharks to back away. But she kept swimming and she kept swimming. Hour after hour, she continued to swim And because of her incredible physical condition, fatigue was never an option. It wasn't her problem. But the bone-chilling water proved to be a formidable task. And so, boy, she kept going, doing the best that she could. More than 15 hours later, she slowed down and started dog paddling in the water and asked to be taken out. Well, her mom and her coach both got on the edge of the boat and had megaphones calling out to Florence, no, Florence, keep swimming. We're bound to be close. Land is ahead. Keep swimming. So she did the best she could, but she kept swimming. But each time she looked up, she couldn't see the coastline. All she she could see was fog. And so at 15 hours, 55 minutes, Florence raised her hand and asked to be taken into the boat. Well, as they pulled her in and wrapped her up in towels, she began to thaw and the fog began to clear. She saw the momentum of what she had lost and the shock of her failure as she was less than a half mile from the coast. Her destination was right there. She was asked after what caused this, and she said it was not fatigue, and it was not cold, but the fog had obscured her goal. As we are studying in the book of Hebrews, 
we need to realize this is a problem for us as well. The key to successful perseverance is to keep our eyes fixed upon the prize. And so in this important letter to Hebrews, the apparent Jewish Christians are struggling. And they've taken their eyes off of Jesus Christ and they're in danger of giving up. And the Hebrew writer is saying, no, keep going, keep swimming. You're so close. Don't give up now as he cheers from the boat. You're a half a mile away from your heavenly destination. Why would you quit the journey now? Keep going. More than any other book in the Bible, it's a letter of encouragement for struggling Christians. It's a letter about perseverance for Christians to remain faithful to Jesus Christ as a measure of showing your authentic Christianity. That if we remain faithful all of our days, it's a testimony to others that they believed in Jesus and they remained faithful all of their lives. It's a testimony to those that we leave behind in life. Hebrews 3 and verse 14 says this, we have come to share in Christ. He's there on the, on the seashore. We have come to share in Christ if we keep swimming, if we hold firm to the end, the assurance we had at the very beginning. So he calls from the boat to the original recipients of this letter, but he also calls to you and I to keep going, keep persevering, keep swimming forward. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize. Why would he need to share this? Because on the journey of faith, Satan is going to do all he can to get us to look to the sides, to get us to put fog in front of us where we can no longer see the goal that we're striving after. And so he wants these believers to look to the left and to the right. Well, what was to the left? Well, looking to the left was saying, if the Romans are coming after us and there's no way we can defeat the Romans, why not join them? Why not start worshiping the pantheon of gods and goddesses? You know, it, it just make my life a whole lot easier, safer for the kids. I'll just join the dominant culture that I find myself in. And hey, worshiping the gods and goddesses, any carnal desire is on the table as part of the worship. What was to the right? To the right was more likely what they were struggling with. These are people that had grown up in Judaism. And they're thinking, okay, not only am I struggling with Rome coming after us, my family has disowned us. If I go back and we as a family decide to go back into Judaism, the Romans will leave us alone because we're not a threat. And mom and dad will say it's time to come home. And so they said, why not go back and put ourselves under the Mosaic law? Start following after Moses. Come back to Moses and Judaism. And why Moses? Well, Moses was kind of the first person you would chisel on Mount Rushmore of Jewish Hall of Fame. He, he's at the top. He's at the pinnacle. Moses meant everything to these first century Jews. He was the most significant Jew for them. And so, man, he was the greatest man they believed in all of human history. 
if you think about Moses' life, it's pretty miraculous from the very beginning. Do you remember? Pharaoh is worried about the population of Jews overtaking the Egyptians. And so he sends out an edict that all baby boys will be killed. And so his mom, you know, fashions this little floating bed. And Miriam, his older sister, takes him down to the Nile River, says a prayer, and sets him afloat and hopes the crocodiles don't come after him. And then who receives it? His Pharaoh's own daughter bends down and says, oh, look at this baby. And so she takes this Hebrew child and raises him as a prince. So he has all the benefits of being raised in, as Pharaoh's own grandson. Best education, best foods, best everything else. But also God provides that Moses' very own mother would be his nursemaid. So he has all the benefits of being an Egyptian with the training of being a Hebrew. So that's how he got started. And so as he goes out into the wilderness, and at age 80, as he's tending sheep, God has been preparing him for this moment and calls to him from the burning bush. says, Moses, I've got a job for you. My people have been crying out for 400 years, and I've heard their cries, and I want to send you in as the deliverer. And think what Moses was able to do. Moses, from that point forward, after he reluctantly agreed to be this messenger, was given the ability to do miracles. In fact, his miracles were far superior than the magicians there in Egypt. And it culminated when Moses led him out into the wilderness, and Pharaoh changed his mind, and they're, they're pursuing him, and, and Moses is right there on the precipice of the Red Sea. He's got the sea in front of him, he's got the Egyptians behind him, and he raises his staff, and it just parts in magnificent fashion. And the people walk through on dry ground. Moses lowers it, collapses in on the Egyptians. Can you imagine? No wonder he was their hero. No wonder he did this. And so we also see that his sister Miriam was a prophet, that God revealed messages in visions and in dreams for Miriam to share with the people and, and to teach the people. But yet it was Moses who didn't receive the same kind of information through visions and dreams. No, Exodus 33 and verse 11 says, Moses got to the point where he was talking to God face to face. As a friend talks with a friend. That's how close they were. It, it was Moses that, that got to bring down the Ten Commandments and broke them, had to go back and get them up again. But he brought these commands down, not... They were called the Mosaic Law and gave them to the people and instituted the priestly service and the sacrificial system. All of this was God's idea instituted through his conduit, Moses. And no wonder they revered him. His brother Aaron, well, his title was priest, but we know who really served that function. We also know what Aaron did as priest when Moses was up on the mountain and then fashioned the golden calf. No, it, it was Aaron that made that mistake. Moses steps in and he becomes the one that God uses to communicate what God's desire is for the people. So, so Moses brings what God wants and gives to the people, but he also represents 
the people before God. There are several times when God's just like, I'm done. It is going to be Noah part two. I'm going to wipe out these people. And Moses, you and your family, y'all can start this over again. Moses is like, no, Lord, I know you're frustrated. The whole nations are looking as to what happened. You brought your people out of Egypt only to slay them? Give them some grace, Lord. Keep going. You know, we, we read in Exodus chapter 17, when Joshua is about to take over. And, and so Joshua is the military leader is leading them out. And so as Joshua goes out onto the field, the Israelites are losing. And, and for some reason, Moses is like, how about I do that whole deal where we parted the Red Sea? So he raises his staff and immediately as the intercessor and priest calling on, on the name of the Lord, they start winning. So after a while, he's like, yeah, we're Oh, we're winning lactic acid. Oh, okay. Oh, no, they're losing. Get it up again. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and finally, it was Aaron and Gad that got on either side and said, Moses, you sit on a rock. We'll hold up your arms. Why wasn't it Aaron's arms? Because Moses was the priest. He was also the prophet. He was also their leader. He encompassed all of these things. And so there were a group of people there in the first century that thought, okay, 400 years, let's look at the pattern God sent to deliver. It's been 400 years of silence and intertestamental. You know, sure, we had some Maccabee stuff going on, but nothing's really happened. We haven't seen God acting divinely on our behalf. It's time. And they believed that Moses would come back to deliver the people again. And so they're wondering, okay, well, maybe this Jesus thing, we're getting such opposition. Maybe we missed it going with Jesus. Maybe we need to wait until God sends the true deliverer, Moses. He's the one that will make things all right. Moses? What does the Hebrew writer do he says no by the grace of god he sent you his one and only son jesus christ but now because of pressure and opposition you're thinking about returning to moses i need to remind you of who you are and i need to remind you of what jesus has done for you hebrews 3 and verse 1 says this therefore Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Holy? Yeah, it's not anything you've done. It's because you've united yourself with Jesus Christ, God's only son. In, in chapter 2, it says, he, not Moses, he's the one that suffered death by the grace of God so that we wouldn't have to. Moses? They had already gone into the promised land, and God buried Moses. But this is God's own son who goes to death on our behalf. That was what his death was all about. So he brought many sons and daughters to glory, verse 10. And he is the one that makes us holy, verse 11. 
goes, I don't know what to say. I think you've forgotten your status. I think you forgot what happened the day you got baptized. Not only do you wash away your sins as Jesus, as your Savior, he's also your Lord. And so as you're walking along, you have now changed your status. Jesus says, I'm proud to call you and you and you to be my brothers and sisters. I call out your name when you come to faith before the Father. So the angels are rejoicing when someone gives their life over to Jesus. And he says, I've got a new brother. I've got a new sister. <laughs> You've been welcomed into the family. Your status changed. Now you want to say, no thanks. I'm moving out of the house and I want to go back to where I came from. I want to go back to Moses? you got to be kidding. You can't turn back. Okay, so if we're going to fix our thoughts on Jesus, Hebrew writer says, I I've got one shot at this. You're dog paddling here, and you've got to keep swimming. Let me give you two reasons to keep going. Number one, Jesus is our faithful apostle and high priest. Okay, don't get hung up on Jesus is an apostle. That means he's one sent. So he's not sent by a church. He's sent by his heavenly father to accomplish this task, this reconciliation, bringing us back. So he becomes both our apostle and our high priest. And we'll, we'll learn, not only does he offer a sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. So that's what Jesus does. So what he's doing is he's taking the best Judaism has to offer, and that's Moses. And he puts him in the octagon with Jesus. He said, we're going to have a duel here. And so you can imagine, you know, Moses kind of slinking in, you know, like Conor McGregor, you know, he's coming in. And Moses is like, I don't want to go in. No, I, that's not going to be a good competition. I can't measure up. In fact, I don't want to measure up. But let's read this. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, that's what God's given us, don't take your eyes off anyone but Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Moses prayed for the people. Yep, check. He interceded on their behalf when their sin got God's dander up to the point where he's wanting to destroy them. And so Moses' solution was, okay, Lord, we're going to offer a sacrifice here pleasing unto, but it's not going to take care of the sin problem, is it? Moses didn't have the power to do that. Jesus comes in and says, Moses, I appreciate the sacrificial system that we put, but that system, that lamb slain on behalf of the people was a precursor to who I am. I'm the lamb of God. I am the, the priest, the high priest that offers this, then goes and sits down. The priest couldn't sit down because the sacrifice kept him to go one after morning and night, morning and night, and then all the people come in for feast and more, 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 more. It is never done. But Jesus comes in and says, I'll be that sacrifice. I'll offer myself so that it is done and I can go return to the Father and sit at his right hand because sin is done with is done. Finally, you could satisfy the justice of God. 
Jesus Christ is our great high priest that deals with the sins of the people once and for all. Here's what I love about Moses. He's known as the most humble man in all of Scripture. What's incredible to me is Moses writes the first five books, the Pentateuch. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But he writes himself as a character, warts and all, doesn't he? I wonder how hard it was for him to write about his failings. When we tell stories, we tell stories about our good days, don't we? And if we're a graceful family, we try to excuse the bad days of family members. Moses is like, I'm going to tell you about my worst day. When the people were complaining, they're thirsty around the middle of the desert. They think they're going to die. They're wanting to go back to Egypt. Egypt? Really? I came in, risked my life, and got you this far. Now you go back to Egypt. You're complaining about the food, complaining about this. And it's, we want water. Oh, yeah, I'll give you water. Wham! God says, not exactly what I had in mind. Why would Moses include that? Couldn't he have just said, well, I was too tired to go over to the promised land? I think what Moses is doing is saying, don't fix your eyes on me. (laughs) I'm just as much in need of a Savior as you are. I'm just a man who loves my father, but I am in need of a sacrifice just like you. To make sure we understand, the writer offers a truism from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3 through 4. He says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God, God is the builder of everything. I've shared before that right out of college, I went to go help with a team to plant a church up in Connecticut. And I hope God puts on the hearts of a lot of young people to say, life here in the Bible Belt is great, but we've got to have missionaries, not just overseas, but to all over America where the church is struggling. So so I'm going to put some time in, going to go up there and do that. And so while I was living in Connecticut, my brother was living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So once a month, we committed a weekend where I would drive down or he'd come up there. But when I was driving from Connecticut up in Windsor all the way down and go down the Merritt Parkway, and just off of the Merritt Parkway, there was a, a, a cool house that I always tried to drop by and see because it was a, a house called the Rayward Shepherd House built by renowned architect. Frank Lloyd Wright. And so you can just drive up. It it doesn't take long to get off the Merritt Parkway and drive over and see it. And it's magnificent. And so as you're looking at it, you're in awe of this house. But see, we don't say the house is better than the architect and designer and builder, Frank Lloyd Wright. No, the honor goes toward the architect, not the house. We admire the house. We give honor to the architect who also did some incredible houses like Falling Water and Wingspread and Kentucky Knob and and just a, a ton all over the United States. And he changed the face of architecture. What Jesus came in and do is change the face of salvation. Moses serves faithfully in a great servant, in the household 
of our Heavenly Father. Well, what's the household of God? It's brothers and sisters. It's us. And we become part of that same household. The honor doesn't go towards us. It doesn't go towards Moses. It goes towards the builder, the constructor of the house, and that's Jesus Christ. So when you become preoccupied with Moses, you're misdirecting your allegiance and your praise to a house. He said it shouldn't be. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10, the writer has already laid out that Jesus is there along with the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father to create everything, including the lineage that would include Moses. Moses served in a house created by the Heavenly Father. So he was a divine son to save those a part of the household of faith. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus and not on Moses. And so that's why he had to encourage them not to look over to the left or to the right, but to remain focused, even if it's Moses. Number two, Jesus is the son over God's house. So he alone possesses this exalted status. So we, we've got to understand this, what the Hebrew writer is telling us. So to the Jews, Moses was the top guy. Hebrew writers, they don't even match up. So in verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken of by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Moses in the house, Jesus serving over the house. So you can be the best, and you could be the most faithful and, and trustworthy and hardworking servant. You're not going to be a son. There's a status level that's different. And guess who is making the case the most? It's Moses. Moses has a giant sign if he's dropped in the octagon with Jesus going, don't look at me. He's got the big sign that he's holding up. And the arrow was pointing that way. And if you go back and look of all of scriptures, it's right there. We, we see that in John chapter 1 that you've got Philip who joins Andrew and, and Peter as the first three of the disciples. And so Philip is like, oh, you're the guy. Yeah. He goes, I got a friend. Hold on. Y'all don't leave. I, I'm going to be a, a, a disciple. I promise. But I got a buddy I got to bring in on this. Please don't leave. We won't leave. Great. Come on. Nathaniel, the one we studied about in Bible class. Yeah, he's over there. No, are you sure? Yes, come over here. He is the one that we've been studying about. He's the one. He is the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets did too. It's Jesus of Nazareth is him. What did Jesus say to the unbelieving Pharisees in John chapter 5? He said, listen, you guys don't realize I'm not threatening the system that you are professing. I'm not threatening the system that you're teaching and that you grew up in. I'm the fulfillment of it. He said, you want to talk about Moses? He says, I'm the one Moses wrote about. If you believe Moses, you believe me because he wrote about me. One of the most incredible scenes that I wish that I could be there uh, on top of some of the miracles. 
is Luke chapter 24. It's whole after resurrection. And there's a couple guys walking down the road to Emmaus. And Jesus just kind of comes on the on-ramp and starts walking. Hey, how are you going? Well, great. You know. oh, what's the latest news? He's like, where have you been? He, Jesus is like, well, I was on a cross for a while. And then they put me in it. No, no, what, what are you talking about? Well, everyone's talking about what took place over in Jerusalem. Oh, do tell. And so he says, and then he reveals himself to those. And what does he do? He starts beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all of scriptures concerning himself. Moses is like, why are you coming back to me? The whole time I've had the giant arrow pointing towards the future. Pointing towards not this imperfect plan, but God's perfect plan in his son Jesus Christ. Why would we want to go backwards? Keep swimming. He closes this section with a promise in Hebrews 3 and verse 6. And if we are his house, indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope to which we boast. Keep swimming. Two months later, Florence Chadwick put on her swimsuit, hopped in the same water, on the same beach on Catalina Island. And as she started swimming, she looked up. What did she see? The same fog. But she kept swimming. She kept swimming. And she kept swimming until she reached Huntington Beach, California. The reporters ran out into the water. They were so excited. Hundreds of people on the shore. Their first question is, you had the same exact experience. Why a different result? She said, yesterday before I went over to Catalina Island, I walked up and down this coastline of where I'd be landing, and I pictured every turn of the shore. I pictured every house. I pictured the beach where I knew people would be, and I locked that into my mind's eye, and I didn't open my eyes. I just kept focused on where I was going. I focused on my destination. Folks, that's what the Hebrew writer is encouraging us to do. Can I just tell you, this is a difficult time. It really is in the life of our country and this world. And I, I seriously believe Satan is using this time to discourage Christians. I really feel, especially for those that are physically compromised online, that are feeling isolated, that aren't able to be with us. We're with you. We are. And we feel for you. And we do not want you to get discouraged. We want you to keep swimming. My heart also goes out to younger people that are just starting their swim your swim is going to be a lot more difficult than my swim or your parents' swim or your grandparents' swim. The world is getting a, diff a more difficult place to be a Christian, but it's worth it. Verse 13, he says, encourage one another daily, not once a week, daily, as long as it's called today. So that none of us will be discouraged or deceived, turning our head to the left or right. 
If you're alone and isolated, find someone else you can talk with daily to remind you why you keep, keep swimming and remind you of the importance of the journey that you're on and the prize that comes before us. Keep going. Surround yourself with small group and other group of people that you feel comfortable spending time with and remind yourself of the importance of the journey. Remind yourself what's ahead and remind yourself of your reward. Paul tells us, forget what's behind. Strain towards what lies ahead. Press on to the goal to win the prize. is heaven with Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep swimming. This morning, if you're ready to wade into the waters to start that journey, or you need to type your name in the response online and just said, I need encouragement, please do that. We'll call you. We'll have one of the shepherds reach out to you. We'll have other people. We want to surround you because we don't want you to give up. If you're treading water, we want you to start paddling again. Look at Christ Jesus. He's there on the shore. If you're ready, come to him today as we stand and as we sing.